Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Brit Pack is back with the United Nations. Gorgeous Georgian goes. The OGs of MMA Junkie Radio are here with us once again for our midweek chinwag. Try saying that after a few beers. But yeah, it's been it's been a mad old week. UFC 274 at the weekend. Big stuff coming my way on this side of the pond with Bellator 281 from London, England. And uh, we've got a pretty important light heavyweight matchup coming from the UFC Apex weekend as well. Lads, how's it going over there in, in Vegas? Good. It's windy as hell over here, but uh, but we we love Vegas, man. It's great. Wagwan, Simon, how you doing? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. It's uh, I'm 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 kind of buzzing because it's Thursday afternoon as we do this Thursday evening. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to be cage side at an MMA event. So that's going to be it's just nice to get back to Wembley Arena. I think it's called the Ovo Arena now, the latest sponsorship deal. Um, but yeah, just to be cage side for an MMA event, it hasn't happened very often. We had UFC London a few months back. Now we've got Bellator London, MVP going for a championship belt to become only the, the third Brit, I think, in uh, you know to hold a major MMA title. We've got Bisbing, obviously, in the UFC. Liam McGeary did it in Bellator. Now MVP is going for interim gold. He was going to be Yaroslav Amosov. Obviously, he's back home trying to defend his country right now. He's got a far more important fight on his hands, unfortunately. Logan Storley is stepping in, and uh, that's a decent fight for that belt. But looking ahead to, to the weekend, guys, I mean, well, actually, before we look ahead to the weekend, let's quickly talk about 274, because I haven't really spoken to you since then. That was a mad night. That was an absolutely mad night of fights. But quite often when you talk about these pay-per-view cards, right, there's a there's a build of, there's a build up of momentum as the night goes on and you get the occasional sort of peaks and valleys as you go. But that night was bizarre. We had like really high, high moments and then really low, low moments. It was like we had uh, we had some really exciting fights. We had that incredible knockout from Michael Chana. But then we also on that main card had two absolute stinkers of fights. The OSP Shogun fight was not a good fight. And then the co-main event, the Rose Nami Yunus fight, was probably the most bizarre title fight I think I've ever watched. What did you make of that? And I know you spoke to uh, to Carla leading up to the leading up to the fight. What did you make of how she approached trying to win a title? Sorry, George, go on. Oh, okay. So, because you know I have a big mouth and 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 I tend to freeze out goes from time to time. So I was giving him the uh, the pass here to to, to start off, but. Man, we can go in so many directions, Simon. You know, Carla, I, I thought it was a mistake to fight one week before her wedding. I probably would have moved the wedding, honestly, because she did say my priority is winning the title, you know. And I don't think she meant that as, as a slight to her fiancé or anything like that, but that's a long road, man, seven and a half years, uh, five-fight win streak been offered the title fight before. It just didn't match up, so I, I guess maybe – she wasn't in the position to tell the UFC, hey, how about July or August? And I believe it because we've seen the way Francis Ngannou got frozen out uh, last year. You know, all he wanted was an extra month. And they go, nope, tell you what, we're going to create the interim between Cyril Gon and Derek Lewis. And that's that, you know. So anyway, that said, we get to the fight. Both young ladies have given us great fights. They're both probably Hall of Famers going forward. And they're both two of the top fighters I've ever seen in women's MMA. But that fight was a stinker. It was terrible. It was horrific. It was the worst title fight I've ever seen. And I think um, for Carla, it worked out. You know, her face isn't marked up. She's going to be a beautiful bride in a few days. And that's that. But, she, you know, she could very well be in the same position Rose was because neither one of them did enough to go home with the belt. In Carla's case... That's to take the belt from from Rose, and in Rose's case, that's to protect the belt from going home with Carla. Now, it did go home with Carla, but only because I think the judges were like, holy cow, we got to write something down here. But they fed them so little info, just a few jabs, just a few leg kicks, a takedown attempt, you know, a takedown attempt thwarted, a takedown attempt by the other party. Just a little kick, you know. One might might have gotten checked. I mean, it was very little. And so how the first round wasn't a 10-10 is beyond me. But 
Um, the judges put down a 10 and a 9 somewhere in there, and, the, and someone had to take this fight, you know, and, and I guess it was it was Carla. I was prepared to just accept whatever answer it was. All I wanted to do was get them two out of there because they really, really killed the vibe. You know, Chandler created something awesome, and he got the taste out of our mouths from Hua and OSP, and then we got this other one, you know, this other one that was just terrible. I was really looking forward to a great fight, and then we get to the main event, which was epic. So, yeah, it was a really bizarre night of fights, but the one thing that I will say is I did not like Rose's post-fight press conference. It seemed like she wasn't really dealing with reality much, and... Um, but I understand because fighters are very egotistical. They see it their way. They think everyone that thinks different than them is honestly sometimes below them or just doesn't know anything about the game, which isn't true. But I'll give her a pass because I can only imagine the emotions she was going through. Then she goes a little too far and says, oh, I'm a crap human being on social media. No, Rose, you're not a crap human being. You're a great human being. Oh, you're a great champion. You just had a crappy fight, you know. Just accept with that and deal with it. Then Pat Barry goes on MMA Hour and still sticks to his guns, the game plan. I was just listening to it before we jumped on here. The game plan, you know, and we we were happy. We met those goals. And I'm like, oh, man, this is nothing like other sports that I watch and have watched for many years where even the top, top names, coaches, players, they will look you in the face and go, we got beat. We got beat soundly, and we need to correct it tomorrow, next week, next year, next season, whatever. But they start to take it head on, and 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 they uh, they deal in reality, like like I like to. Yeah, it goes. Mm. I remember I, I jumped on your uh, your watch along, and I put in the chat that this was the MMA equivalent of a nil nil draw in in soccer, because that mm. that that first round was basically, you know, it had to be a 10-10 because literally nothing happened. Right, nothing happened in that first round. But the thing that that really surprised me because I've always seen Rose as being quite a cerebral fighter in terms of she's so well drilled, she's so well prepared, she's got a great coach in Trevor Whitman, and for her to come out after the fight and say, "Do I not get any any credit for my defensive work?" Is that well from a fan, from a bystander, from someone appreciating what you're trying to do? Yeah. But from a judge, you get nothing for that. Like the scoring criteria is really clear. You don't get anything for def you get you don't get anything for defense. It's all offense and intent and pushing forward. And she didn't do enough of that. I mean, what did you make of it? I think Rose Namajunas almost every fight is battling herself, not her opponent. I think upstairs there are just mental blocks that she has. Um, I think there were a lot of outside factors that played into this fight. I really do. No matter how long ago that first fight was, I think she probably hasn't been able to uh, process the fact that she was just dominated by Carla Esparza that way. So I'm sure that come around, even though since then she's won titles and looked great, I'm sure there's a little bit of her deep down inside that just doesn't want to relive that. And I think she fought to not lose that night. And so really when you think about it, like, okay, I get it. Game plans. She stuck to a game plan. But... Anybody that's ever played any type of sport knows that a game plan isn't just plan A. There's plan B and there's even plan C, all right? If it was just plan A, the coach would sit in the locker room and say, all right, let me know how it goes. We'll see you in a couple minutes, right? But there's a reason they're there. It's to make those adjustments, to implement plan B if plan A isn't working. And I think that's where her corner kind of failed her a little bit is I think they looked at it as though plan A is working when none of us we're sure what the hell was going on, what those judges could have put down. So there's no way anybody anybody could have for sure said, you're winning rounds. She needed to make adjustments. I wish this fight was at the apex. That look, They looked like they were fighting at a Costco. That cage was so big for them, you know? Um, they didn't want to engage. Carla, I mean, look, for having a wedding planned and doing that, like I applaud you for getting that far, but you cannot convince me that that is not something in the back of her head, getting through. If her coaches are telling her, you're winning, and she's gotten through round four and still hasn't really been touched, you can't tell me there's a part of her that goes, well, I kind of like fighting like this. I'm, I think I'm going to look pretty good for my wedding. There was just a lot of crap, man, for this fight. It was not a good fight. Both fighters have shown that they're good fighters and they're fun to watch. This was just the perfect storm. Yeah, and they're really... 
I guess the interesting thing with this is normally when a champion loses their belt, especially someone who's put in so many good performances during their title reign, they tend to get an instant rematch, right? That's normally the natural way of things in the UFC. Champion who's had the belt for a while, good performances, gets beat, instant rematch. I don't think Rose is getting an instant rematch after that. I really don't. We've got Zhang Weili versus Yuani and Jacek coming up. I don't know if that's been officially announced yet. If it hasn't, it will be soon. Um, that, to me, looks like a bona fide number one contender fight. I mean, Yuani and Jacek, who I've picked for my fantasy team as a little bit of a flyer, if she goes and manages to get revenge and get the win over Zhang Weili, it's going to be uh, deja vu all over again. It's going to be Carla Esparza, Yuani and Jacek too for the strawweight title when we could see Joanna champion version 2.0 at the top of the strawweight division. It's amazing how this sport goes, but I think Rose is going to have to win one, maybe two. I don't know if she's going to get the sniff of a title shot until this time next year, the way things are going. What do you reckon, George? Yeah, I would say the same thing. First, Joanna versus Zhang Weili could definitely be a number one contender bout. That's the way it's being built. But then Jessica Andrade, she kind of got vocal on social media and she was kind of coming at Carla and and Rose for the fight, and now Carla for being the champ. And she's got a compelling case. You know, she's been uh, active, and, and she's been a title contender, a world champion. She's fought well across three divisions. She's coming off a possible sub of the year with the standing arm guillotine. So she did well, you know, to thrust her name in there. And then, of course, there's Tatiana Suarez, who owns a win over Carla Sparza, who keeps saying, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. She did tell me. I'm coming back as a flyweight, but the plan is to then drop to strawweight after that and and pursue, you know, being a title contender. She's undefeated and, again, has a win over the champ. Now, can't she do that in time to derail the other two ladies, meaning the winner of Zhang Weili and Joanna or uh, Jessica Andrade? Probably not. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see what happens. Rose does have name power, star power, so she probably could inject herself I don't think it would go too far because the fight sucked. But, but you know, I, I think the UFC likes booking Rose, likes on active Rose. It's just that I don't think it's going to work out this time. And one last thing, Trevor Whitman also, he got brought up by one of you two. He can't escape here either. You know, he's a coach of the year. He's a great coach who's guided his athletes, very, you know, awesome over the last decade, decade or so. He does a great job as an analyst. But he was also off his rocker because between rounds four and five, he said, now just go out there and have fun. You're winning the fight. And I thought, bro, how can you say that? Like, I mean, there wasn't enough going on to know if someone was winning the fight or not. It was it was like that using, you know, going back to football slash soccer. Uh, we have two audiences here. We call it different things. It's like that clock at the end, uh, the stoppage time clock. You don't know if he's going to put up four. Or five, that's the big mystery. Well, we don't know what the judges were writing down. 10-10, 10-9, for her, 10-9 for her. In fact, two guys were 48-47 on either side. One guy had 10-9 straight for, for uh, Carlos Sparza the first four rounds. And then he gave Rose a 10-9. So for him to say that and for him to not realizing it after coaching for so long and also being an analyst, I guarantee you if he was, if the roles were reversed and Dean was the coach and Trevor was – you know, the analyst on the side, and they go, let's go to Coach Trevor Whitman like they have in the past. He would have said something like, yeah, well, this fight kind of stinks. I think this lady should do this, and this other lady should do that, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I don't know. I just think the two fighters let themselves down. They let Carla down as well. I'm sorry, uh, Rose down as well. Um, and it's unfortunate. They need to correct that because I think they're catering too much to uh, to Rose. and uh, I, you know, it, it, look, they've won titles. You can't argue with that. But I think part of the goal is to ho hold on to the title as well, especially in a fight that was very winnable. Goes gave the comparison of the first fight, which was accurate. Carla mauled Rose, right? But in this instance, Carla took down Rose, but Rose pack, uh, got back up. So she kind of, she should have had like an infusion of confidence there after at least the second takedown to know. Yeah okay, now I can really let these dogs go. I can I can start slinging now. Because if I get taken down, I've now gotten up once or twice, whatever her comfort level, whenever she reached that level where she was comfortable, you know, and, and uh, she, she never got there. And she didn't get the push from the coaches and she, and she didn't realize it herself. So everyone's to blame there. 
Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty convinced that we will see a very, very fired up Rose Nami Yunus next time she's in the cage. I'm sure the the, uh, the coaching will be on point. This is the fact that it's so notable is because this is not what we come to expect from from uh, from Rose or or from a Trevor Whitman coach fighter. So um, you know, everyone has a bad day at the office. That was definitely a bad day at the office. Someone who had a good day at the office though goes was Charles Oliveira. I mean. He gets knocked down by almost everybody he faces these days and he bounces back up and then he finishes them. You know, I think it's his last three fights. He's, in, he's had to pick himself up off the canvas and win. And he did exactly the same on, on Saturday. Great performance to beat Justin Gaethje. Um, and it makes me think he's, he's clearing out this lightweight division. Obviously, there's some people to get through yet, but he's working his way through this division. If he gets Islam Makachev next, which is the guy who I think a lot of people are pushing for right now, and Dana White was certainly hinting very strongly during the post-fight press conference that Islam might be the next guy. If you're Charles Oliveira and you go in there and you dust Islam Makachev in the same way that you've dusted everybody else, do you have a little try to see if you can get Khabib back out of retirement? Because that would be outstanding because... Oliveira never seems to get the full level of respect that his achievements have deserved. You know, the fact that he, he had that run at featherweight, was very patchy with his weight cutting, very patchy with his form. But since he's come up to lightweight, he's an absolute monster and he's taking everybody out, left, right, center, finishes you know across the board. If he can get Khabib back, that's got to be one of the biggest fights that the UFC could possibly make right now. I mean, is that is that the route you would take if you were advising him? What do you reckon? If I'm the UFC, that's got to be part of my hook. Part of the reason I want that fight is because I know I can have all three of those men in the same arena, in the same camera shot. Everybody else is going to do the math. They're going to see the greatest lightweight ever. They're going to put all that together. Now, people get mad at me when I bring this up on, on spinning back click. I get it. Habib made promises. He's not going to fight. But he did kind of say at one point that he just didn't feel like he was being pushed these fights weren't exciting anymore. Well, here's here's a style that Habib didn't really see throughout his run, okay? He didn't really have this type of guy clicking the way he is, getting finishes, leaving no doubt. If there is a little bit of a competitor still left in Habib, this is the matchup that you come out for, especially if he beats one of your pupils, right? So if I'm the UFC, I'm loving every second of this, and I'm trying to get those three in the same room as much as possible and I honestly do feel at one point we will see Habib again. That would be absolutely massive. That'd be absolutely massive. As a percentage, George, what chance we see Habib back against Charles Oliveira at some point down the line? As a percentage. If he beats Makachev, then 50-50. If he, if he uh, hasn't faced Makachev, because obviously if he loses to Makachev, he's not going to draw out Habib. So if he hasn't faced Makachev, so up until when he faces Makachev, I think Habib is very secure where he's at. Uh, sounds to me like he's somebody that uh, business-wise is doing well. Uh, you know, he saved enough money and he doesn't leave, lead a lifestyle where I think he can, you know, where he's going to be hurting for cash anytime soon. But beating Makachev's the key. Uh so up until then, I just maybe give him 5% chance, 10% chance. You never know. Habib just might one day wake up and and start to not like the headlines, the ones that maybe start displacing him as the greatest lightweight ever. Um, but, yeah, beating Makachev would be the key. And if Charles Oliveira had any sort of a nasty side to him, in fact, you don't even have to be nasty because if you think about it, Michael Chandler did a great call-out, a great promo, without really having to, like, talk about cucking and and bringing up wives, you know, being hoes or nothing like that. I mean, he just basically oozed charisma and he got people fired up so much that Nate wants Chandler. Poirier says, why are you leaving my name out? Conor McGregor responded to him. You know what I mean? So that was pretty cool to see that. And it all followed that, that amazing performance. And if Charles Oliveira could give us something, I think he could fight both Habib Makasha or all three and Conor McGregor at some point. Can he get through all of them? I don't know. That's tough, man. That's a little bit of a murderer's road, to tell you the truth. But along the way, you know, Habib and McGregor are huge, huge paydays. 
And you got to get one of those before you bounce out of there. Now, the next one, if it's anything like this one, the UFC did give him his pay-per-view buys. Even though he didn't make weight mm. and he got stripped, he did get his pay-per-view buys. So if they're going to allow him to get the pay-per-view buys on the next one, even though he's coming in as a contender into a vacant title fight, then you might as well go for it. Like I say, yeah, go for the cheese. You know, if they offer you somebody out there that can make you some cheese, great. But if you're not going to get pay-per-view points, then I would still hang back a little bit. I want to get pay-per-view points when I fight Conor McGregor. Yeah, that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. And let me just throw it, throw it forward to uh, a name you, you mentioned there, Michael Chandler. He did three call-outs for the price of one. And he, as you say, he called out three names and then two other names who weren't mentioned have thrown their hats into the ring. So he is, he is, he's the girl that everybody wants to take to the prom right now, right? He's the guy. So um, he's in a great position and he manages to do it in such a wholesome way. There was nothing wholesome about that front kick to the face that he delivered on, on Tony Ferguson, though. Guys, we've seen a lot of incredible knockouts in the UFC. How high does that rate as one of the all-time great knockouts? And does it lead, is it, is it our new clubhouse leader for knockout of the year? I think Molly McCann's elbow um, from UFC London was probably the clubhouse leader going into the weekend. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Tony Fer- uh, the uh, the knockout of Tony Ferguson has, has just eclipsed that? I think it did for the year. But if we talk about overall, holy crap. I mean, we, we forget about some of like, do you remember when Francis Ngannou almost beheaded Alistair Overeem? I mean, that's hard to, that's hard for me to pass. There's a lot of those. I mean, you think about like, Frankie Edgar's head when he got kneed, right, by Corey Sandhagen. There are a lot of bad ones. I would say Chandler's is in that top five. But uh, for me, that uppercut was just a thing of beauty. I think I have that one at number one. It's definitely going to make the uh, UFC's Bubba O'Reilly montage that they play in the arenas. That That's absolutely guaranteed. I think Molly's elbow is probably going to be in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know it's an all-timer if it makes it onto that onto that montage. Yeah, that knockout from uh, of, of Overeem knocking his head back like a Pez dispenser. That was that was absolutely crazy. My favorite UFC knockout of all time, George. Uh, and it almost seems like sacrilege to say this, but it was a knockout that happened to a happened to a Brit. Let me Go guess. On. Yeah, are both Adam? It's just the most beautiful knockout I've ever seen. If a if a knockout can be described as beautiful from a technique standpoint, it was just clean. You know, everything about it. It was like something off a video game. And I, mm. I've never seen a knockout as clean, as spectacular. Even the way that Etim fell to the ground, mm. just completely stiffed on the uh, on the way down. Mm-hmm. It was just for me. It was the perfect knockout. I mean, what what what's your favorite UFC knockout of all time? What's what's your number one? I got a couple here, um, but if you're a fan of Barbosa versus Adam, even though the kick was was different, check out it was still a kick to the dome. Check out Kevin Lee against Gregor Gillespie. The way Gillespie shuts off and just heads back, just like Adam, to me it's it's two things. It's the tech – well, it's actually a few things. It's the technique itself. It's against who you did it versus. And then the other body, um, unfortunately, has to cooperate because it adds to the violence. What do I mean by that? What I mean is – Anderson Silva versus Lyoto Machida, uh, sorry, Vitor Belfort. If you think about it, Vitor Belfort was more of a striker than Tony Ferguson. So therefore, he probably should have a better defense, a cleaner defense than Tony Ferguson, who's primarily wrestler first and then all around mixed martial artist with striking skills, right? Um, And Michael Chandler really is not even a striker. But so... Chandler did it to someone whose defense probably isn't as good as Vitor should have been. So I give Anderson the lead there. And not that Vitor didn't fall, but Tony's collapse, man. I, I compared it to like a Jenga, where when it falls, it just straight falls. It was the way Tony's body just shut down, and then his head takes a big, big hit. And then even if you want to follow it after that, I mean, he was down. Even when they rolled him over, he was frozen. Like that whole that whole sequence of about 30 seconds to a minute. By then, Chandler had done like four backflips. I was just like, oh, my God. You know, and as much as I was enjoying Chandler, enjoy his victory, uh, you know, and my parlays either staying alive or hitting, all I could think about was Tony, his wife, his kid, his fans. Just please communicate to us 
that you're okay. And when they when he was finally on the stool, I was like, whoo, you know, I was able to relax a little bit. So, you know, that one's up there, man. That's why I think that one is ahead of Molly's because Molly, who, who did Molly get it against? I, I can't even remember. Oh, blimey. Luana Carolina. It was. Okay. Well, um, so, yeah, no disrespect to her, but Ferguson's hmm. just higher level in within his division than probably Luana Carolina is. So I, I believe that was a tougher task for Chandler to do to him than what Molly did to her. Although Molly did say, we trained this, we saw this. And I believe her. I mean, it really looked like a, a technique that was well rehearsed and everything. Chandler actually said the opposite. We don't really train it that much. But I still feel like his just had a little bit more of that violence, maybe ticked one more box, and there was the cooperation of Tony ugh, just falling. Best front kick ever. Uh, I mean, Leota, he actually broke the um, – it goes, what's the dental term? The, the palate? He broke his, his palate. Yeah. Like, a lot of people don't know that. Randy got messed up pretty good. Wow. You know, from the kick. So Tony seems to be fine. He's already tweeting and he says he's already training. You know, I don't know how the the brain cells are or whatever. But, yeah, Brandy seemed to get more damage from that. So those are all up there. I'd almost have to watch them again just to examine them. Your your, your question, though, about favorite, 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 whenever. Uh, I, I still have to side with, um, I think, what I remember when Kevin hit Gillespie with that, the way Gillespie shut down, and because of the camera that's shown, it just shows him like eyes rolling back, him falling straight, you know. And then poor Kevin, I think he was in such a fog, he didn't even know what had happened, man. He's just kind of walking around, there was no backflips there, or whatever. He was in such a zone, he really needed that W, by the way. Um, so it was, it was, I just remember that one being, you know, one of my favorites, yeah. and as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, what are the best the best knockouts that I've seen actually in person, sort of at the arena? Mm-hmm. And I would say maybe not just one, not necessarily one individual one, but the one fighter who has consistently did it, or two fighters who have consistently delivered when I've been there. One is Jimmy Manoa. Jimmy Manoa, I followed him from like the domestic scene in the UK all the way up to the UFC. And some of his knockouts before he got to the UFC were just downright scary. Um, and when he got to the UFC, he had a few decisions, and it was like, is he, is he, you know, has he not been able to bring his power all the way up? And he took out Corey Anderson with one shot. I think he finished over in St. Prue the fight before, but then he took out um, Corey Anderson with one shot. That was massive. But the one guy who has consistently delivered the goods is a guy who's going to be in the main event segueing now guys right to bellator 281 michael venom oh, page. Yeah. michael yeah. venom page's highlight reel stands, up, mm-hmm. stands up against anybody on the planet now in terms of just eye-popping video game-esque uh technique flying knees you know one punch one hitter quitters you know he's a he's a he's a lean wiry sort of guy but when he when he connects it's absolutely game over. He's absolutely superb. And what I wanted to ask, ask actually, Leota Machida's on this card as well, guys. You mentioned Leota Machida. He's in the co-main event against Fabian Edwards, Leon Edwards' brother. Um, in a middleweight bout, Leota's dropped down to 185 again. I think he fancies his chances of getting uh, a trilogy fight with Gegard Masassi. But he's got to get through uh, Fabian first. So that's interesting. Another knockout specialist on the card. But I wanted to ask you about MVP. I'm a Brit. Um, so we're, we've watched a lot of MVP. We've been in the room a lot. We've spent a lot of time with him. I interviewed him on a London bus with Abby for Junkie this time last year um, for his last appearance uh, for Bellator, where he beat Douglas Lima in the rematch. And here in the UK, there's a huge amount of respect uh, and support for MVP. It, does he? How, how is he viewed stateside as a as a world class welterweight fighter? Because Strength of schedule is probably the one thing that could be sort of leveled against him, but then he doesn't choose his opponents. That's a that's a Scott Coker, uh, Rich Chew as it used to be um, decision. So, what's your what's your take on him? We'll start with you guys. I mean, how how is MVP perceived? Is he considered to be? Is it smoke and mirrors, or is he is he given the respect as an elite level one hundred and seventy pound fighter? I wouldn't say smoke and mirrors, but uh, the problem is I think most people don't hold it against MVP. They hold it against Bellator, right? Uh, And the problem with Bellator is they'll have a card, but then they just kind of go away and you don't hear. So like 
those aren't the names that you that constantly get thrown at you. Like Israel Adesanya's name is constantly thrown out, right? Even when he's not fighting. We just don't get that anymore with MVP the way we used to. Um, definitely a talented fighter. But yeah, there's just always those question marks. You know, what's going to happen? We need to see him against some real top-level fighters. Uh, the Douglas Lima fight, you know, obviously set him back a little bit. Um, but sometimes fighters just get caught, right? They all get that. So I think he's a real talented fighter. But I don't think people hold it against him as much as they hold it against Bellator. What do you reckon, Josh? You know, I really like MVP. I think he's dynamic. I love the swag, the cockiness. He's also a Manchester United fan. However, there are times where I think he's his own worst enemy because he's out there. And so he can be the Anderson Silva that faced Vitor Belfort and give you an exciting moment. Like like the cracked skull to Evangelista Cyborg Santos. Or there's times where he's just cruising and there's no action. He's Carlos Barza and Rose Namajunas. You know, not for a whole round, but it, but for maybe for three minutes where you're like, okay, enough already. Like, what are you going to do here? You know, you you haven't been taken down. You're waiting too long for this opening. You have to realize that, yes, you might have to take a leg kick before you unleash something, or you might have to dodge a jab before you do something. But you can't just sit. I mean, I guess you can, but you can't just sit there and rely on the last two knockouts you had. You know, let's just say you fought once in 2021 and once in 2020. Um, that's you know, that's not like that's not like Tom Brady having six straight weeks of throwing over 300 yards with three TDs. Like no one's no one remembers what happened in 2020 or 2020. We're focused on this fight, and you're not letting go, blood. You know what I mean? Like he's got he's got to. I guess there's just these moments where he can go from being a nine or a ten. To all of a sudden, down to like a two or a three, and he's hovering. He's not losing, but he's not winning. But you just get lost, and you know it's there. But I think he wants to he, – he's his own worst enemy because I think he wants to create magic. And I've seen this with Anderson. I've seen it with a lot of strikers. They're looking for that highlight moment, you know, and, and sometimes it's not there. And so next thing you know, the, the fight can be a dud. And because, again, he doesn't fight frequently, like Go says, or he can go blocks of time. Um, it all gets lost in the shuffle, you know? Like, I, I, I was mad that I didn't think of MVP's KO when you said what's one of the most violent ones you've ever seen. That's why I had that reaction when you said it. I was like, oh, that's right. How could I forget that? Especially because we talked to Big John McCarthy about it this week. No, you're yeah. saved on that. I, I thought about it too, but he said in the UFC. So I think that's why you oh, didn't okay, think okay, okay, yeah. Oh, uh, did I? Yes, I did. UFC history, didn't I? I said UFC history. But yeah, I was actually, that, that knockout of uh, Cyborg, was literally right in front of me. I was cage side for that, and it was literally right in front of me. And it was it was just bizarre. Like we we didn't know quite what had happened. Like well, obviously we knew it was a flying knee. We knew that he was down, but we also knew that he wasn't knocked out as well. And that's where the worry was because he, if you watch if you watch it back, and you'll probably see it in the highlight reels and stuff this weekend. When uh, Cyborg goes down, his legs are kind of twitching with pain. You know, because he and he's holding his head. It's not like he's been starched and he's just gone down. He goes down. He's actually holding his head, and obviously, everyone who's a longtime fan will have seen and remember those um, X-ray pictures of Cyborg's yeah. skull. Would literally, it's like a baseball's hit it, gone yeah. in at like a hundred miles an hour. It's like, it's like that. It was incredible, um, and thankfully, he seems to have made a a good recovery from that since, but you know, obviously we haven't seen too much of him from a competitive standpoint since then, but yeah, MVP, I, I, I get what you say about being his own worst enemy. I also think that his reputation precedes him with regards to his opponents as well, who are naturally a lot more timid than they mm -hmm. would normally be. Even someone like Douglas Lima, who has had a plethora of fights at the elite level has held the championship, I think three or four times. Even he is very, very wary of getting into striking range with MVP. And it's only when they're on the break of a clinch and he feels like he's got an opening. And that's that, you know, it was that sort of split second opportunity that saw him knock Paige out in the first, the first meeting where Paige slipped on a kick and got up a little bit strangely with his chin sort of hanging out. And it was a one in a million shot from Lima because A, he spotted the opportunity. But to land it as cleanly as he did was absolutely first class. And 
obviously, you know, I think that would have knocked out any welterweight in the world. It was such a good shot. But it's a big one this weekend for MVP. He always puts on a show for the fans here in the UK. And Wembley Arena is sort of the go-to arena for Bellator in the UK. They did do one show in the O2 a few years ago, but that's that's UFC country, right? Other side of town, Wembley Arena, which is an iconic, used to be a music venue, really. That's what it was famous for. Um, but it's now an iconic fight venue as well. And this is Bellator's home in the UK. That's going to be a really good show uh, on Friday night. And uh, that'll be, I guess that'll be sort of early, sort of, sort of just after your breakfast time, I guess. Um you uh, on, on, on the West Coast. But that'll be well worth tuning in for. Rob Whiteford, former UFC fighter, Scot- Scottish fighter. Um, oh, he's Paul Daly he's in, in his retirement fight. He was yeah. going to fight Andre Koreshkov. Obviously, Koreshkov no longer on the card. He's taking on a Brazilian, Wendell Giacomo. Uh, and Daly, you know, fighting at 175 pounds. If there was a 175 pound division, I think he'd probably still be going. He seems so happy <laughs> weighing in at 175 rather than killing himself to lose those extra four or five pounds. But... That's going to be a great event on Friday night. But on Saturday, guys, we've got UFC are back at the apex, right? It's uh, light heavyweights, Jan Blachowicz, former champion, Alexander Rakic, up-and-coming contender who, if he can get a win over Big Jan, he's right in that title conversation. All European main event in Las Vegas at the uh, at the apex. In fact, we've got three Europeans in the top top two fights. Four in the top three fights because Davy Grant is in the uh, in a bantamweight May card match with, uh, with with Lewis Smoker. But Blahovic versus Rakic. I don't know how much you've seen of Rakic, and it, you know you talk about um, cadence of fighting and how 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 frequently you see them. It's been a while since we've seen Alexander Rakic, but when he's on, he can be a real threat at two oh five. What are you expecting from from that one at the weekend, guys? So we actually talked to Jamal Hill this morning. And one of the basically Jamal Hill thinks he can beat anyone, present, past, future. But the one thing that he did say is there's nobody that's quicker than me. And the one name that I thought about bringing up to him, but I knew I was just going to lose, was Alexander Rakic does a great job of blending his speed and power. He's in and out, but when he does, he makes you pay. And I actually I, I picked him to win this fight. I, I think it's going to be a really tough fight, but it's going to be one that really tells us where he is, you know, where he's at, what we can expect from him from the future. I think uh, I think he's a damn good fighter, and I think he could pull off this win. I actually picked him, so I don't know who George picked in his staff picks, but, uh, you know, me and Simon, we we have a lot of clout. We're ex-champs. Oh, there yeah, we, we go. go. We do. There we go. <laughs> well, have you never right. won it, George? Have, have you never no. won it? No. Wow. To think the, sh- the, the, the tiny window that I was on the junkie team, I managed to win it. You've been there all this time and you've never won it. That's interesting. Give us your That's pick anyway. I'm sure people would be interested anyway. It's a big know. window for me, so I feel terrible about it. Um, <laughs> luckily, neither one of you have won it twice. In fact, no one's won it twice to prove that it wasn't a fluke. I think I've just witnessed about 12 flukes, but whatever. Um, <laughs> all right, so a couple things. Simon, I apologize. You were starting to talk about Rob Whiteford, so if you want to revisit yeah. that after I'm done answering okay. your question, I'd like you to because I know you're a yeah. very proud Brit and you'd like to talk about the Brits, so I, I apologize. Um, yeah. That's that's one thing. Two, um, I like Rakic here. I think Blahovic reached his apex, no pun intended, during his title run, which was really, really a great run, man. It, it really was. But, um, you know, losing the title, like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I just wonder if, you know, because that youth, man, you know, when you're battling that youth and that hun- those hungry guys, especially when they're not really a 22-year-old or whatever. I mean, now Rakic just put in his time. He's faced good fighters. He's faced adversity and the Ozdemir loss or whatever. So I'm – I'm siding with Rakic. As the fight goes further, though, if Rakic hasn't gotten rid of him or isn't winning, you know, the the exchanges or, or his strategy isn't unfolding, then that's why I start kicking myself because usually the veterans come in towards the end. They have the experience and they are able to resort to plans B and C and and they uh, they just seem to stay more calm, you know. So, But, I, you know, the job is to pick a winner. Um, I'm liking Rakic right now over Blahovich. I did like Blahovich last week, 
In fact, I should check and see what I turned in for my staff picks because I'm one of the ones that turns them in uh, early. So uh, the, only, the only other thing you said was, yeah, Paul Daly, salute to him. He, he, uh, it is his final fight. He kind of revealed that he had been offered a boxing match versus Hardy. Um, to me personally, I feel like Paul Daly's a dog. And I don't think this will be the last time he fights in combat sports. I don't know why. I feel like there'll be an opening there for boxing, um, you know, or bare knuckle. Who knows? I might be wrong. I don't know. But I, this could very well be it, and I could just very well be wrong. Uh, but I've always liked Paul Daly, man. I, I've always enjoyed him. I've, I've rooted for him. It's unfortunate, you know, what happened in Montreal. He never got back to the UFC. But, you know, he went out there, and he was still able to to make some money. So, um, by the way, Daly and MVP kind of sucked too. I remember the build up there. Uh, that was a little bit of a letdown. Not on the levels of the other ones we talked about, but it's up there. That was that was such a such a disappointing fight. But um, Paul Daly, this will be his sixty fourth professional MMA fight. Oof. His eighty eighth professional combat sports fight because he's got twenty four professional kickboxing matchups as well. So that's an incredible, incredible uh, amount of, of longevity in mm -hmm. a career where, you know, he's been in a lot of tear-ups. He's been in a lot of tear-ups. And actually, that MVP fight that you mentioned, one of the reasons why it was a dud was because Daly decided not to do what Paul Daly usually does. He turned into a wrestler for the day. And um, that's that's what happened. He did not really stand and trade. And that was the thing that everybody was absolutely desperate to see. You know, it was power versus technique, you know. Um, mm -hmm. That's not saying Daly's not got technique because he clearly has, but it was Daly with just, I mean, his hook is one of the best I've seen in MMA. Unbelievable. Uh, along with Jimmy Manor, actually, he's got an incredible left hook. But that against the, the sort of the sniper style of M Michael Venom Page, that's what we were all looking forward to. For a while, it looked like we were going to get a rematch, um, but obviously that hasn't happened and, Maybe given how that first one went, that's for the best. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a hell of a career for Paul Sentex Daly. I've you know I've been I've been at a fair few of his fights over here in the UK, not just for Bellator, but for uh, for Bama as well. We fought for Bama in the UK, the now defunct promotion. But um, yeah, it's 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 good to see him going out on his own terms on home soil, and I hope that the, yeah. the Wembley. Uh, gives him gives him the ovation that his career deserves. I'm sure they will. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a big night on Friday. It's going to be a big night on Saturday at the Apex. By the way, I'm picking Big Yan. I'm picking Yan Blahovich. I just think the man is carved out of solid granite, right? I don't. I just. I can't. I can't, unless Rakic. Rakic has got a really, really good high kick. A really good high kick. One of the best in the UFC, I would say. Um, Luke Rockhold's got an excellent high kick as well. But I think. Rakic has probably got the best high kick in the UFC right now. Um, and I think if he can connect with that, that might be the route to victory for him. Um, but if he can't, I just think Jan's going to gonna manhandle him in the clinch. I think once it, it, it may well get to the, the championship rounds or the main event rounds, I suppose we have to call them. Um, and if it does, I think Jan will get it done on the cards. But it's going to be a good fight, though. Two really good light heavyweights. So we'll see how, how all of that pans out. We've been going for almost 45 minutes, so we should probably wrap things up. But you've got any other business you want to chuck in before we before we say cheerio? I do want to add one more thing. And it's oh, not oh. to come down on the Brits, but one knockdown, well, knockout that was pretty vicious was Dan Henderson and Michael Bisping. I'll never Iconic. forget that one. Iconic. And it was in many, you know, me turning it into a positive, that is is a part of Michael Bisping's story, right? I mean, you take that moment out of Michael Bisping's career. Um, Michael Bisping's career looks very, very different. You know, who knows what what, what might have happened? Um, but he's, he, you know, the ups and downs of his career are well documented. He's got that brilliant Amazon. Uh, it's, it's, it's not an Amazon documentary, but it's on Amazon. You can download it and watch it, um, which is a superb watch. He's doing like speaking tours now as well. Um, I know he's coming back to the UK later this year. But yeah, that career, really, that moment where he lost to Dan Henderson in that in that fashion. Everyone was writing him off at that point, and for him to bounce back the way he did is something—the stuff of the stuff of legend, really. So, uh, yeah, that was an, an an incredible knockout as well. So, um, but yeah, anything else you want to throw in the mix before we before we say cheerio, George? 
Yeah, uh, sorry to not bring this up. I was going to when I was talking, but the flying knee of Daly on Brennan Ward was nice. Mm. Um, Daly had a good good one against Dustin Hazlett as well. And mm. one other thing goes, I didn't want to bring it up because there was a little bit of a delay when we were when we were talking to Jamal Hill, but Rakic is in a similar spot as uh, as Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill is facing Thiago Santos, a former contender title contender in the UFC. And so Rakic is facing a former champion in the UFC. So big, big fight for both guys coming up here where one guy can maybe define himself over the other, you know, as once you can get one over on a title contender or a former champ, that really, really puts you in title talk. You you now deserve to be in title talk. Jamal Hill corrected me and said, well, you know what? I I fought OSP before I beat him. So that's not, and I was going to jump in because I just don't know when to keep my big, Mouth shut, um, but I'll say it now because Jamal Hill's gone. Uh, yeah, he did fight OSP, but OSP stepped in like on two weeks' notice because Cormier hurt his foot. So he really hadn't earned the title shot. He was just there at the right time to face John Jones. Um, not to cite OSP at all. Has nothing to do with that fight he had this past weekend. I like OSP. His... Um, uh, Von Prue chokes have been awesome. His career has been awesome or whatever, but I just, I figured I needed to get that one off my chest, but that's how I see it going this week is Rakic. Not only is competing against Blahovich, he's competing against these other rising stars because that's the way, that's what happens with this game, man. It just turns over, you know, and, and uh, you got to be ready to pounce on that moment. Yeah. OSP. I was at that John Jones fight. He fought, I think three rounds with a broken arm in that fight. I think he broke yeah. his arm in like round. It was either round two or round three. I think he broke his, he broke his forearm in that fight from a Jones kick and uh, went, went to the scorecards. You know, I don't think it was a fight. Many people picked him to win, but to, uh, to fight through a broken arm and get go to distance with one of the pound for pound greatest of all time, uh, tip of the cap to OSP. And yeah, light heavyweight division, the vultures are circling, right? We've got a 40-something-year-old champion who, just by by the age factor, and I say this as a 40-something-year-old man myself, he's not going to be sticking around at the top of that division forever. So we've got all these young up-and-coming light heavyweights who are gradually moving their way to the top, and it's they're all jostling for position. One fight I did want to very quickly drop in is the main card opener, a guy who you've spoken to on, on your show in the past, uh, Jake Hadley, former Cage Warriors Ooh, champion from, yes. from the UK, went to the Contender Series, won on the Contender Series, but did not make weight, um, which normally rules you out of getting anything out of Dana White at the Contender Series. But And also there were talks of backstage issues and maybe maybe just his, his demeanor just didn't didn't fit well with some of the some of the goings on backstage. I don't know. Um but what, for whatever reason, Dana kind of dug him out a little bit after the after the event. But he did give him the contract, and they've given him one hell of a first test. Alan Nascimento is legit. You know, you take a look at his record. He's got a few losses in there, but each of his last three losses, which stretch back a few years, all split decisions, all against decent opposition. That is a real test for Alan Nass- uh, for uh, for White Kong. Jake Hadley, former Cage Warriors champion, former EFC champion as well down there in South Africa. So, you know, he's crammed a lot of experience into his eight career fights so far. And I know, as you know, you, you guys have spoken to him in the past. For mm-hmm. me, that could be a fight of the night contender on, on Saturday at the Apex. That, that one should be a good one. I love me some flyweights. And Hadley was uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I told Joe go, goes that... Um, with so many fighters that had been retiring, remember when we went through like Khabib and Cejudo and I don't know, Cormier, I think I was like, wow, you know, we can't just sit on our laurels. I know that sounds a little arrogant, but you know, we've had, you know, some part of the success we had at junkie radio and a lot of it's built off the connections with fighters. But once they go away, if you haven't also started to welcome the new you know, crop of fighters and, and built your relationships with them. And that goes for managers and announcers and everybody that contributes to the sport. You can also get left behind. I've seen it happen with other media, you know, where they, you start to mail it in, phone it in, whatever you want to call it. And you actually still have to connect with some of these stars. Cause what, what happens in the sport is 
You can be 8-0 and the Cage Warriors champion, and all it takes is two fights, and you could be the next big thing that the UFC is talking about, you know, in those next two fights. And I really liked Jake Hadley's swag. I've always kind of kept in touch with Cage Warriors, seeing who they have. They've produced a lot of talent. And we had some great uh, interviews with him. I think he's got, uh, you know, he looks like a street tough kid, but he also looks like a, a guy that's got a, you know, he's got a brain, you know, and, and, and he knows how he wants to pursue his career. So I really wanted to interview him before this fight, but yeah, I really like Jake Hadley. He's, he's uh very, very confident. I expect that to be a great fight. I'll be tuning into that one. Yeah. He's definitely uh, our kind of guy. He makes us laugh. He's got a good sense of humor. He's confident, but he backs it up, you know, but Hey man, UFC is no joke. There are no gimmies. So uh, this dude's, he, he convinced Dana, now he's got to perform. That's this where the it, Brits yeah. really, really excel is communication. Whether they're delivering a promo or just doing an interview, it's not just the accent. Let me tell you, man, a lot of Brits have this confidence that oozes when it needs to ooze, and they can convince you that they're either the next big thing uh, or they are the, 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 you know, the best thing going on right now. And you mentioned Liam McGeary. You talked to Liam McGeary, man. He's fun to talk to. Obviously, Bisping is, was always, uh, you know, a fun interview. But um, Paul Daly, I, I've always really, really enjoyed interviewing the Brits for that reason. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with a few of them uh, on on Friday night at Wembley Arena. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun getting back in the mix again um, on on the Bellator side of things for the first time in a little while. So yeah. That is pretty much all we've got time for on the Brit Pack United Nations. Thank you, as always, to Gorgeous George and to Goes. Make sure you check out MMA Junkie Radio, MMAJunkie.com. Their interviews are all over YouTube as well. Get on their Patreon as well. They've got some extra fun and games going on over there as well. You might even see some gurning English face on there every now and again. You never know. But, uh, yeah, make sure you follow everything they're doing. Make sure you follow everything I'm doing. Simon Head on Twitter, Simon Head Sport on Instagram. And thebritpack.substack.com is where you will find everything you need to know about this show and my other Britpack MMA podcast. Thanks for checking out the show, and I'll speak to you after Bellator 281.